One of my favorite interactions in the Gospels, which are all about the life of Jesus, is when Jesus had just finished a, a hard teaching, and so a bunch who had been following him were now leaving him. Uh, and, and he turns to his disciples and he said, are y'all going to go too? And Peter, in a rare moment of clarity, speaks up and he goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. And I love that response. And, and that's my hope in my prayer that that would be our attitude tonight as we, we come to the word. So let me pray that for us. God, I pray that rather than going from you, we would be drawn near to you. That it would be our heart, just like Peter's, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's nobody else worth going to. There's nobody else worth hearing from. There's nobody else worth following. And so we'll follow you. Because you're the one with the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, would you come and speak that life over us now? Would you come and speak and breathe that life into us tonight as we look into your word? Lord, you promise to use your word in this way. So we call upon you in accord with those promises to do that. To give us life by your word. Lord, awaken sleepy souls. Give life to dead souls. Lord, would you bring back those that have strayed from you? Lord, set free those that that have been in bondage to their sin. And Lord, to some degree, all of this describes each one of us. So Lord, by the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, set us free. Lord, would we be changed here because of our time here? Lord, help us to know you better, to walk more closely with you, and then be more prepared and more fit to go into this world to love and serve you and to proclaim Jesus to this world. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. And Lydia, can I steal your... Actually, I'm going to take Joanna's because it's not entangled. You can leave every, you can leave everything else. Thanks. Do you mind taking the iPad? Thanks. Thank you. I don't like right being in my right. All right. So, just one or two things that I just need to cover here before we get into the word. Uh, if you are going to summer conference, please be paying. <laughs> Ethan's going. <laughs> he had his hands raised. Um, if you are going to summer conference, please be paying attention to the group me because we're going to be we're going to be doing a lot of uh, informing and getting you up to speed on what's got to happen between now and then. And one of those things is we we need folks to to drive. So if if you can drive or if you can talk to your parents about driving, maybe even get a car from them that might be more reliable. We, we need more drivers. And so that would be really helpful information for us to have by Friday. Um, if our situation doesn't change by Friday, we'll start looking at some other things to help get us down there. 
We're not going to leave you on your own for that. Um, but but y'all can help us by by at least asking the question and and trying to pursue that for us or for y'all y'all too. Um, so yeah, please ask that question. Um, and then also uh, along with that, we will help. Like we're we're gonna help give you some money to. I know it's wear and tear on your car and gas and um, and those riding with you should be able to to help with some gas too and we'll be talking about that but know that that we're going to help with that financially all right we love the bible because it it's god's truth to us god reveals himself god reveals how he works in this world god reveals how we can know him through his son jesus god reveals about our own hearts god tells us uh, how we were made to live in this world. So we love coming to the scriptures, but nobody in this room gets it all. Nobody understands it all. If you have questions, come and, and talk with one of us on staff or, or one of our, our student leaders here. We'd love to talk with you about that. I, I, I wanna say just a personal word uh, to seniors. If you're, if you're graduating here in a few weeks, it has been one of my greatest privileges and joys to bring to you the Word of God. I love y'all, and I'm going to miss y'all. And really, as a pastor, like this is, it doesn't get better than this. I love bringing God's Word to you. So thank you for being so eager to hear it and to love it and to follow it. Um, really, this is, this is why I do what I do. I love y'all, and I love God's Word, and I love bringing those two together. So thanks for making that easy. Um, y'all have been a deep, deep encouragement to me. Um, maybe one other personal note. Some of you know Tim Bentz and Jared uh, both had some some medical, some pretty serious medical issues earlier in the semester. And I was thinking on the way here how happy it makes me that you guys are in this room. Because, um, you know, a few months ago we didn't know that that was going to be the case. So really thankful that y'all are here. And, and y'all bless us when you are here. Um, so, uh, uh, kind of along with that, I, I want to tell you a little bit about Tim's story, and it's going to relate to what, what we're going to talk about tonight. And by the way, Tim gave me permission to, to share this. I won't ever tell stories on y'all unless I get permission, <laughs> at least most of y'all. Um, um, some of you know, know about Tim's pretty big health scare. It was on the morning of February 14th. Am I right on that? Ninth. <laughs> Y'all gonna believe everything I say now. Was that you? Yeah, that was Bill. Uh, so there was a reason I thought that. Um, February 9th, on the morning of February 9th, Tim got in his truck. Don't correct anything else I'm gonna say, okay? Just go with it. Um, Tim got, got in his truck to drive to class to, to Blue Ridge Community College. As he got in the truck, he, he passed out. Uh, he came to and was able to, to get into his house there at Pride Rock, Pride Rock, where he passed out again. And this time his passing out woke his housemate, who then called 911. His sister Kelly, I've lost you Kelly, but Kelly's here, I know that. Yeah, his sister Kelly and I arrived at the ER within a few minutes and Tim was taken in immediately, uh, diagnosed with multiple blood clots in his lungs. If I got the story straight, each of our lungs has 10 arteries that go into them. And on each side, Tim had nine that were blocked. Um, yeah, that's what your doctor said, so I'm holding him to that. Um, 
So it, it, was a, it was a pretty big deal. And he was told that within minutes, like de- death was minutes away. And the only way to save him was to do open heart surgery on the spot. Like, we're not waiting for parents to come. Like, we got to do this now. Uh, I think Tim and Kelly would agree with me. It was one of the most sobering moments I've ever had, and I'm sure y'all have ever had, and, and scary moments. And, and since then, I've thought, and, and Tim and I talked a little bit about this today, and a few weeks ago, maybe not even that long ago, we talked a little bit about it too, but we just marveled at everything that had to come together that morning for him to be sitting here now. So the first blackout happened before Tim was going 70 miles an hour on I-81. Like minutes, I don't know if that's the way you go, but I don't care if it's 11 or 81. Minutes later, he's going at least 55, if not 75. And if that happens while he's driving, that doesn't end well. His roommate was home, woke up, and had the wherewithal to call 911. Now, when I kind of walked through that with Tim, Tim was like, yeah, I told him to call 911. But here's the thing, like my response would have been, dude, get some, you're dehydrated, get some Gatorade, go back, you know, take a nap. Like, Tim's fit. Like I never would have thought that. The rescue squad came within minutes. The ER was empty. Y'all, I have lived here 30 years, and I have never driven up to an empty ER lot. When I walked into the ER, it was me and Kelly. That never, I've done hundreds of hospital visits, and it's never been that way. So they were able to take Tim immediately. The right doctors were in the building to do the surgery. Like they didn't have to call them from home. They were already in the building. On top of all of this, a few days before Tim had gone, was it one day, two days? Two days before Tim had gone hiking where there would have been no cell service for hours. So if any of this happens while that's taking place, yeah. I look back and I see God's hand of mercy everywhere to preserve Tim's life. If even just one of those details had been different, the story of that day would have been very different. God was at work the whole time. I don't know a better way to summarize the book of Ruth. As we look back, we're in chapter four tonight. As we look back, God was at work the whole time. God was at work through the hard, the suffering, the confusing. And you know what? Even the ordinary, even the ordinary, to bring about his good purposes. 
And tonight in Ruth 4, we get to see those purposes in full bloom. Before we read chapter 4, let's do a quick review. Naomi and her husband moved from the promised land to Moab because of a famine. Naomi's husband and two sons died there in Moab. The two sons had married before they passed away. And one of those daughters-in-law returned to the promised land to Bethlehem with Naomi. Her name was Ruth. The book is named after her. And Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem poor, destitute, and widowed. In chapter 2, Ruth went to the fields of Boaz and God provided for Ruth and Naomi through the kindness of Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's late husband. In chapter 3, Ruth basically proposed to Boaz. We saw that last week. And we saw that Boaz was committed to following the process that God gave in his law in pursuing that marriage. It wasn't that he didn't want that marriage. You're going to see that today. But he was committed to God's word in pursuing that marriage. And that's where we pick up here in Ruth 4. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we'll be in Ruth 4. If you want to follow along on the screen behind me, it'll be there. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. I mean, can y'all, can y'all already see God's hand? <laughs> like, the dude just happens to be walking by. The elders just happen to be gathering. Like, already in this chapter, we're seeing that. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Ruh-roh. It's a problem. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Again, you see in God's hand, it's beautiful. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malan, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, and I have, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. As we take a look at this chapter, I want to focus on three things about God that we see here. First, God redeems. Second, God restores. And third, God is faithful. God redeems, God restores, and God is faithful. God redeems. Look back at the the first few verses. As we talked about last week, Boaz was simply following God's Old Testament law that provided for the poor to be cared for and for a widow to be provided for so she could have children and for the family name to be carried on. The person that God had set up to provide in that way was called a kinsman redeemer. And so when we see redeemer in this text, that's that's what they're talking about. So a kinsman redeemer, a relative who would marry Ruth and purchase land for her and for Naomi. The closer the relative, the higher the priority to be the kinsman redeemer. So while Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, he had to wait to see what the next in line redeemer would do. Y'all following that? So that's what's going on there at the very beginning. So Boaz shows up at the city gate the next morning. He's not waiting. Like this thing where Ruth came and laid at his feet took place the night before. Boaz shows up the next morning and he is at the gate ready to lock this thing down. And the man who's the closer redeemer just happened to be walking by. And Boaz says, bro, come, you know, have a seat here. We're, we're going to talk. Boaz gathered the elders around and explained the situation. And at first, the Redeemer wanted in. This thing's going to fall apart. He saw the land as a good investment. It's a shrewd businessman. But when he found out that Ruth and Naomi were included, he then began to figure, ah, that's going to eat into my profit margin. So he's out. And it was Boaz's turn. So Boaz stepped into the role of kinsman redeemer and he redeemed redeemed Ruth and the land and they traded sandals to seal the deal. I like that they don't do that anymore. (laughs) Walking around with mismatched sandals. Boaz redeemed Ruth. What does it mean to redeem? 
Here's a definition I found of a redemption. The payment of an equivalent for what is released or secured. The price paid in compensation for a life forfeited. The price paid in compensation for a life forfeited. So think of someone who had sold themselves into slavery, being bought out of that slavery and being set free. A redemption price, a price to redeem that person was required to secure that freedom. That's redemption. And that's what Boaz did for Ruth. He bought her out of her poverty, out of her helplessness and her hopelessness. And isn't that what God has done for us? What God did through Boaz foreshadowed what he would do through Jesus on our behalf. Mark 10, toward the end of that chapter, has this little verse that puts it this way, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom there is from the same root word as redeem. Jesus ransomed us. He redeemed us out of our hopelessness and our helplessness of our sin. We were under God's judgment because of our sin and literally in bondage to its power. But through his death on the cross, Jesus paid the ransom price of our sin to set us free. And this redemption is yours by faith. Not anything you do, not anything you earn or deserve, not any way that you live. It's simply yours by believing. So put your hope in what Jesus has done for you and you will be redeemed, set free. Both now and for eternity. One more thing I want you to see in this first section about God's redemption. Did you notice what Ruth was called here in this chapter? Look, look back. As Ruth is to, yep, what, Declan, I? Uh, Ruth the Moabite. She's called that twice in this chapter, six times in the four chapters of this book. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth, there's this repetition, a constant reminder that she was an outsider, a foreigner from the land of Moab. Again, God was foreshadowing his saving purposes in Christ. God is gathering a people not just from one race, but from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He's gathering the outsider and the outcast. He's gathering the hopeless and the helpless. And, and there's two really important implications of this. Like, we ought to hear these words. We ought to look at what God did in the Old Testament for the outsider and the foreigner and rejoice. Because you know what we are? We're the outsider. We're the foreigner. We're the all nations. We're the people from other tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. Because remember the Old Testament, what we're in right now, Ruth, was written for the Jews. This was their Bible. 
So when we see this foreshadowed, we're in view. Like us here in the United States in 2022, like this is us. We ought to wake up in the morning and praise God for the all nations heart of God. Because that's us. We get to benefit from that. We're recipients of that grace. But secondly, this guts racism in any and every form. If God's heart is for the nations, then our hearts must be for the nations. If God cared for the outcast and the outsiders, our hearts must care for the outcast and the outsiders that God has put around us. We are a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-generational family. To look down on another for any other reason or for any reason is to scorn the bride for whom Jesus died. God redeems from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But God also restores. Look back at 13 through 17. So Boaz and Ruth got married. They had a son and they named him Obed. Stop for a minute. Consider what's taking place so far. Naomi and Ruth came back from Moab poor, husbandless, childless, hopeless, and helpless. And now just a few chapters later, Ruth was married. They had a son who, by the way, is going to be the grandfather of King David. Through Boaz, Ruth and Naomi had all that they needed. They had a hope and they had a future. Also remember back in chapter one, the women of Bethlehem, when Naomi comes back to Bethlehem, do you remember what their response was? They could barely recognize it. They, they were talking amongst themselves. Is this Naomi? I can't believe it. And, and in fact, Naomi said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Because that's what my life has been. But here in chapter four, the women are gathered and they praising God for how he had restored all that Naomi had lost. And did you see the editorial comment in verse 13 about the child? And the Lord gave her conception. See that? And the Lord gave her conception. God has done this. You cannot read the story of Ruth and Naomi and not see God's hand all over it. At the time, they couldn't see the beautiful tapestry God was weaving behind their trials and their suffering, but he was weaving. Tim and Jared, I'm sure you look at your situation right now and you wonder what on earth is God doing? Has he lost control of the steering wheel? but you're going to look back. You may not understand God's full purposes, but you will look back and say, God did this. God did this. God did this. God was weaving a beautiful tapestry. 
God restores because that's who God is. He's a God of infinite grace, infinite love, generosity, and kindness. And he never runs low on these graces. He's not limited in how he gives them, nor does he give them based on how we perform. He gives them because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we do. So y'all, I'm probably gonna be quoting Gentle and Lowly for the next 10 years. So you're gonna get another quote from Gentle and Lowly. And it's gonna be on the screen behind me. And I was thinking about this. I might've even shared this one before, but my memory's so bad that I don't remember. And if I'm being honest, I don't care. Cause it's so good. And I forget how good this is, how good God is. And I wanna remind you. Here's what he says. If his grace and kindness, get out of y'all's way. If his grace and kindness is immeasurable, and right now he's talking about a phrase from Ephesians 2. Um, so that, that's why he's talking about it like that. If his grace and kindness is immeasurable, then our failures can never outstrip his grace. Our moments of feeling utterly overwhelmed by life are where God's heart lives. Our most haunted pockets of failure and regret are where his heart is drawn most unswervingly. If his grace and kindness is immeasurable riches, as opposed to measurable middle-class grace, then our sins can never exhaust his heart. On the contrary, the more weakness and failure, the more his heart goes out to his own. Our sins can never exhaust his heart. Whatever you're going through, whatever sin you're caught in, whatever suffering you're enduring, whatever sacrifices you're making to follow Jesus, listen, God is a God of immeasurable riches of grace. And he is a God who restores. He will not leave you empty and bitter. He gives out his infinite fullness, out, I'm sorry, out of his infinite fullness, and he fills our emptiness, whatever that emptiness is for you tonight. Whether it's loneliness, sadness, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, God gives out of his infinite fullness and he fills our emptiness. And he restores all that we need, both in this life and in the life to come. God restores. And then lastly, God is faithful. God is faithful. Y'all may have looked at verses 18 through 22 like just a meaningless list of names on the surface. And I gotta be honest, when I hit these gene genealogies, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, let me get to the real stuff. But these verses are loaded with significance. 
A few names in the genealogy should jump out at us. First, look at verses 21 and 22. I'll, I'll read a, a little bit of it. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. In Matthew 1, first book of the New Testament, there's a, a long genie, like much longer than this. And we usually get to it at about Christmas time, like we might read part of it there. So it's a longer one, and it lists these same names. And more after them, and after those after them, it ends with this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Wait, what? Of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Do you hear that? Do you know what that means? Not only were Ruth and Boaz the great-grandparents of King David, they were the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great, I don't know how many times, grandparents of Jesus. The Messiah. God was at work. God was at work this whole time in and through the stories of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz to fulfill his promise hundreds of years before that God was going to send a savior. God was working through these families, including Boaz and Ruth now to fulfill a promise he had made long before that he was going to send a savior to save us from our sin. You see, God was weaving his tapestry the whole time. He promised to send a savior, one who would sit on the throne of David forever, a greater David. And God, through this humble, ordinary couple, Boaz and Ruth, was faithfully fulfilling that promise. The second name and we'll close with this. It's a more obscure name, but I think it's got some significance. That jumped out at me, at least, was Perez. Perez was Judah's son through Judah's scandalous affair with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. The whole Judah-Tamar incident was a blight on the history of Israel and on the family of Judah. Like people who, who know the scriptures hear Judah and Tamar and go, oh, yeah, that was, that was a rough time. That was a bad moment. How could the name Perez be in the genealogy of David? <laughs> and of Jesus. What a scandalous mess. But God used and redeemed that mess because God is faithful. Many of us can relate to sin and mess in our past and deep down we wonder, could God ever love me? Could God ever use a mess like me? And the answer is yes, it's what he does. It's his specialty. Let me, let me give you a few examples. God took a moon-worshiping pagan named Abraham 
to be the starting point for his chosen people. God chose an insecure and murderous Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. God chose an adulterous and deceitful and murderous David to be the great king over Israel. God chose 12 doubting, fearful, thick-skulled, self-absorbed, betraying and denying men to be the disciples of Jesus. Read the Bible's full of examples. Is your life a mess? Maybe not just in the past, but now. Is your life a mess? Is your past dark and painful? Has sin wrecked your heart? Join the club. I'm not making light of your sin or what's been done to you, not at all. I'm simply saying that's what God redeems. That's the kind of people God uses and works in. Heard one pastor say this, whoever you are, whatever you've done, there's room for you at the foot of the cross. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, there's room for you at the foot of the cross. God is constantly drawing straight lines with crooked sticks because God is faithful. He promised to send his son to be our savior. He purchased that salvation on the cross and through that cross, he redeems and he restores us and everything about us because he is faithful. So you know what, y'all? There's hope for us because God redeems, God restores, and God is faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you for this good news that you redeem, you restore, and you are faithful. Even when we are faithless, even when we are in our sins and trespasses and running away from you, that you are faithful to us. Thank you that you were faithful throughout history to your promise to send a Savior. So that even tonight, on this night in Harrisonburg, Virginia, at JMU, we can talk about this Savior and wonder at your mercy and grace that you would send him for sinners and messes like us. Thank you that this offer of grace to us through Christ is free. That there's nothing we have to do, nothing we have to perform because we couldn't. We could never be good enough. Thank you that you give this gift freely. So Lord, I pray that each heart would take of it by faith tonight. And then Lord, send us out by faith to live our lives in that same faith, loving and serving you and loving and serving our neighbor because you first loved us. Lord, do this for, your good, for our good and your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.